Well, we, we have a chance now to turn to the Bible. Um, maybe you get yours um, if you have it near or you go and get it if you haven't. Uh, you have a, a moment before we, we start reading. We're going to be reading from the book of Isaiah. We started a series in Isaiah. And today we're looking at a section that starts in chapter 2, verse 1, and goes all the way to the end of, of, verse, or of chapter 4. And Jen's going to read for us chapter 2. So let's read God's Word together. Good morning. Today's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the, for the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every tower and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes in the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and to the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for what account is he? Let's turn to Isaiah 
and chapter 2. A few weeks ago, I ordered a printed map of Dublin for the wall of my study. And as I opened it, I could see that there wasn't so much as a fingerprint on this map. And so I put it up on the wall, and, and it is such a striking visual aid for the city we live in. Except that this map doesn't have any roadworks or rubbish. And you can't see any ugly behavior or brokenness at the level of individual streets and laneways. In a way, if you think about it, there are really two cities. There's the one on my wall, pristine, perfect, striking, and the one in which we live. I wonder if God's people, Judah, living in their capital, Jerusalem, and hearing this message from Isaiah, I wonder if they felt a bit like this. One moment, there's the breathtaking description of their city, reimagined in the future as the highest of the mountains, the mountain of the house of the Lord, verse 2. And then the next moment, there's a graphic commentary of the state of everything around them. The people of Jerusalem and Judah in the present day were being exposed, their city laid bare. And you know, that's what Isaiah does here. He paints two contrasting scenes, the glorious future set against the brazen present. But, but why? You might be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with my life today? Well, here's the amazing reality. Preaching isn't just about imparting information about I mean, something interesting like Isaiah's experience or even anything else. Preaching is about mediating transformation. It's interesting. Not imparting information, but mediating transformation. And the Lord used Isaiah all those years ago to give God's word to his people, which would prompt them to change, to turn around, and to recognize their failures and sin, and at the same time seeing God's holiness and power and majesty. And as you hear Isaiah's message proclaimed, that's still what's going on. That's what's happening. And as you see these two pictures, you might think, well, that's very interesting. But it's my prayer that you would hear more than that, that you would take this um, to your heart and that transformation would take place. God's transforming word at work in your life and my life. As well as seeing two cities here, we must hear two calls from the text in front of us. Two cities and two calls. Well, firstly then, Isaiah saw the city of the Lord's peaceful reign anticipated. The city of the Lord, Jerusalem, with a peaceful reign, with everything righted in the future. Have a look at verses 1 to to 4. Isaiah declares here, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And so it's not just a city here. This is the highest of the mountains. And and look, you know, rather than rivers flowing down this mountain, look at the end of verse 2. Because here the, the prophets pictures that all the nations shall flow to it. So there's a wonderful picture of the rivers going backwards or the nations heading towards the Lord. And this is what the future holds. This is what the future holds for God's city, Jerusalem, 
Now you'll know from reading the Old Testament, Jerusalem already had the, the Ark of the Lord there. And you can read that in 2 Samuel 6. And one day, Isaiah says, this city will be the seat of God's great reign over all the nations. Look at what they'll say, verse 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And then the Lord will equip people, all these people, with his law. End of verse 3, he will administer his justice. Verse 4, until there's no need for war anymore. Now, the middle of verse 4 is, is quite a turnaround for warring human beings. Have a look at it. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? Weapons repurposed as farm tools, from machine guns and cluster bombs to combine harvesters and mechanized cedars. I think maybe if there was more detail, maybe we would read about their teenagers playing a kind of farmyard fortnight rather than the usual version. But what a vision. What a city Isaiah has painted for them. What a future he's pointing to. God's people now joined on the height of this mountain of the Lord by people from every nation of the world. And to cap it all, in this new light, war is wiped out. Bickering and fighting and protest and demonstration and argument, it's all gone. God has taught his ways, you see. God has given his law, his word, his justice have all gone out from Zion and brought peace. Well, with all of this, this picture of this city, he makes his first call. And here it is, that call to walk in the light of the Lord, verse 5. Have a look again at verse 5 we started uh, today with. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And, and do you see what Isaiah is doing? It's like he's inviting the people of God, O house of Jacob, in view of the glorious future that's in front of them, that will come to pass, he's inviting them to come. Come in response. Come let us walk in the light of the Lord and all he's going to do. Here's that call to faithfulness. Here's Isaiah's call to us once again, reaching into our living rooms and sounding out from our screens and devices. The urgent message for us today too, as followers of the Lord, is to walk in his light. I read in, in the papers today the fears that some people will never return to the churches, even when the pandemic has waned. But you know, even if that's the case, even if people stay away, the Bible calls us in times of declension to commit to the Lord. O house of Jacob, O people of God, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Confronted with your own sins too, you might feel like giving up as a Christian. But the Bible speaks right into our lives here and tells us to look to the future. Look to the future hope of God's reign of peace, God's word gone abroad, 
and from your own sin and misery. Look at what God will do. Turn away from your present sin. Turn away from your ugly circumstances. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now suddenly Isaiah switches here jarringly. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. In verse 6, Isaiah speaks to the Lord this time, explaining that the Lord has, well, quite frankly, abandoned his people. What a jolt of reality. And that's the present. That's the present as these people of Judah and Jerusalem looked around. Their present circumstances were, were characterized by conformity to the nations around them. Not the nations coming to them, to the, to the mountain of the Lord, but them going to the nations and doing what they were doing. All that light rising in the east, sadly, was coming to affect them and change their behavior. They were full of eastern things, eastern promises that weren't true. And then from the west too, which is why there's a mention. Have a look at that mention of the old enemy, the Philistines. Um, they lived uh, to the west of, of their territory. And from verse 7, we can see that God's people, well, they haven't been content with God, the Lord's provision. They've filled up elsewhere. See that word filled? Listen for it being repeated, filled. Their land is filled with silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. And all of this culminates, did you catch it there at the end of that section? Idolatry. The word idols, do you know what it literally stands for? It, it literally means no gods. So they've built up their wealth, they've filled up, they've built up their armaments, their, their, their weapons filled up, and also in handmade no gods, idols. It's quite a pathetic picture for God's people. The city of the Lord is in reality a place where the Lord's own disloyal, unfaithful people have been sunk by a reliance on everything except the Lord. And it's an awful sight, verse 9. So man is humbled, and each one of them brought low. Do not forgive them. So here's the city of the Lord at present, isn't it? Unfaithful and humbled. Just look at the last line of, of verse 9 for a second. Do not forgive them. It, it, it would seem like Isaiah is somehow commanding the Lord not to forgive his people, but that's not it. This kind of command, do not forgive them here, um, this, kind of, this imperative in the original text can be used to show something like the inevitable result, something like, for sure you will not forgive them. So it's not the prophet telling God not to forgive them, but he's just summing up that God won't forgive them. He knows God. He knows the people. And so verse 10, all the way through to 21, it's a poem of divine judgment. And, and there's, there's a real pattern here. Everything that has raised itself up is humbled and brought low. Pride, verse 11. The cedars and, and, and oaks, verse 13. Even mountains and hills, verse 14. Towers and walls, verse 15. Ships, verse 16. All these raised achievements 
everything brought low. Basically, it's every attempt to strike for independence from the Lord who had given them everything. Those strikes for independence, well, the Lord is against it. And finally, all of them are reduced. Look at verse 17. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. You see, there is a tall person. It's not anything they've turned to. It's the Lord. The Lord only. He has to be the one who has the splendor of his majesty. That repeated here. It's the Lord who has humbled all the tall things. And remember, remember those idols, those no-gods that the people had made with their own fingers? Well, verse 18 is so final. Verse 18, and the idols shall utterly pass away. These non-gods that they made themselves, well, now they're gone. And the picture turns in verse 20 to people even throwing them away, disposing of their idols. They're so useless. When the day of the Lord's judgment comes, idolatry is exposed, you see, as pitiful. And you can even sense the disgust people getting rid of these disposable non-gods. Well, well, this all brings Isaiah to a second powerful call. Remember the first one? Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Well, here's the second call here in these verses, and it's a call to stop trusting mankind. Have a look, verse 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? The flow of these verses makes this call so important here. Stop relying on mankind. And, and can you see the point? It's, it's, it's getting clear here. It's been building in the whole section. Ultimately, you see, it's not mankind with all his pride and pretensions who has to be faced in that future time with that future judgment. Who will the people face? But God alone, the Lord. Men and women, well, they have breath in their nostrils. In other words, if you think about it, any life that they have is derived. They have life. They have breath in their lungs, in their nostrils, because God gave it. So stop placing your trust in them, the prophet says. Of what account is man? Now, Isaiah is not saying that men and women are of no worth, That's not what he means by that phrase, of what account is he. Instead, he's saying that they will not work as the object of your trust. You can't put your trust, your hope, your reliance, you can't put it in men and women. Now, putting all of these calls together, these two calls and these two cities in this part of Isaiah, well, the message is really urgent. Isaiah is urging God's people to commit to the Lord, come let us walk in the light of the Lord, and to stop trusting humans, to stop trusting man, human insight, resources, achievements, cease, stop. And that whole section, as we've seen, runs from the start of chapter two all the way through to the end of the short chapter four. And reading chapter three really shows what reliance on on human leadership has brought about. Well, it's brought about the collapse of their entire society. There's, you see, there's a kind of um, immature leadership. Have a, just glance through chapter three with me. 
There's immature leadership. They're giving it to infants, mere, mere children. There's division. There's despair. All of these things coming through here. Um, despair dominates even their elections of rulers. Well, doesn't that resonate? Verses 6 and 7. And then with these calls, let's look at those cities once again alongside each other. In the present, as Isaiah speaks for the Lord to his people, Jerusalem is, is a city where, where sin is facing into its final judgment. The Lord of hosts, chapter 3, verse 15, who now takes his rightful place. Isaiah calls the Lord's people to walk in his light, walk in the light of the Lord, not in the light of mankind. And he shows not just a picture from his imagination, remember. This isn't a city that he's sketched or drawn or photographed. But here's the word of the Lord, chapter 2, verse 1, about a better city, a city to come, a future that can be believed in and hoped where there's harmony, where there's justice and law and teaching and not a need for warfare. One of the writers in the Irish newspapers this last week spoke of a wave of relief that she felt as the the U.S. vice president-elect addressed her supporters. She said it was like a wave of relief coming over her. But you and I are reading the Bible. We're called not to put our hope in mankind or in womankind. We're called to put our hope in the Lord. We owe him our lives. He's the reason we have life in the first place. We're called to walk in his light, not in the light generated by any person on this planet, in this era or any era. And and as Christians, we can, though, hope for reform. We can pray for justice and for godly decision-making to take place, for our leaders to rule with wisdom and fairness, but we never hope in those leaders or in their reform movements alone. Never. And as Christians, we can hope for a successful and effective vaccine to combat the coronavirus, but we never hope in the ingenuity of that endeavor alone. Never. As Christians, write down now, think to the details of our daily lives, the things or the people or the resources that we're devoted to captivated by. Think of the waves of relief when they've come into your life. Where have they been from? Well, the message of the Bible is to stop. Look at the city and turn back to the Lord. So as Christians today, let's confess our pride. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. What have these two pictures exposed in your own life? Well, this message is for you too, listening in, if you've never known the Lord. Isaiah's word should, and I hope it does, pierce your reliance on any hope in the future that relies on on man or anything else that's been conjured up in this world. I want you to see your need for a Savior today. Is that something you've ever seen? And so finishing this section in the opening verses of chapter 4, Catch sight of one word here. Chapter 4. Isaiah speaks of the branch of the Lord. The branch. And by chapter 11, and in the rest of the Old Testament, 
that image is amplified, the promise of a branch, the Messiah. You can have no sure hope for the future, no sure hope in 2021 or beyond without this branch, without the rescuer. 700 years after Isaiah spoke these words, Jesus Christ came and lived and died to secure our future city, a city where one day will be our home and where the Lord himself is the light. If you can, turn to the very end of the Bible. We're going to finish by reading Revelation 21. I'll read it. Have a listen to these images that were picked up here in the prophet and obviously in the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled, pointing into the future. Have a listen. This is Revelation 21, reading from verses 23 to 27. This is the future city. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it a light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. Do you hear that image? And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I urge you, if you're a Christian, come and walk in the light of the Lord. And if you're not, come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come nearer to him. Express your hope in him.